Okay, if you have your Bibles, again, turn to Psalm chapter number 10. Psalm chapter 10. We kind of, when Brandon takes a break, we're kind of going through the Psalms. It'll take a while, but uh, uh, anyway, Psalms 10 uh, is what we call an imprecatory psalm. We'll talk about that a little bit more here in a minute. I uh, uh, got a text this afternoon from Brandon and... Uh, he was in uh, at the Capitol building by the rotunda and he was there at Nancy Pelosi's office and he took a picture of Say in front of uh, Nancy Pelosi's office. And of course, we made a few wisecracks. And but, you know, I was working on this psalm and, I, I, you know, you, you got to ask yourself, what do we do with people like that? I mean, as Christians, how, how do we how do we deal with people like Nancy Pelosi and Adam Schiff and Bernie Sanders, people that I believe want to bring this country down. And I believe they're antichrist, they're evil, they're against God. So, so how do we deal with them? I, I, uh, you know, there's, there's, there's uh, several approaches, but in some cases, I think an imprecatory prayer actually works. Now, and that's what we're going to be looking at today, where the psalmist makes this imprecatory prayer. And it's one of the what we call the imprecatory psalms. There's like 15 psalms that are uh, fully imprecatory. And, and there's about five or six or maybe even more than that that are partially imprecatory. Now, what do I mean by imprecatory? Well, an imprecatory prayer is where you call down a curse upon one of your enemies. It's a prayer for revenge. And a lot of people believe that because we're living in New Testament times that imprecatory psalms don't have any place in the life of a Christian, that that's really not a prayer that we should make at all, uh, that we're told in the uh, Beatitudes that we're to, in Matthew chapter 5, that we're to pray for those who persecute us, that we're to love our enemies, that we're to turn our cheek. And so, so it just doesn't gel well with an imprecatory psalm. But I believe there's a balance. I believe there's room for both. I believe there's a room for praying for those who persecute you and also praying that God does something about those who persecute you. And I believe that's really the way we approach it biblically. We looked last week when Brandon was in in uh, Second Chronicles. If you want to flip back there, he was in Second Chronicles chapter 19. And here was this great king, Jehoshaphat. I mean, one of the greatest kings of all times in Israel. I mean, uh, really a godly man. And uh, I keep going to First Chronicles, Second Chronicles 19. And he does something in God's eyes that's really bad. And, and God rebukes him for it. He, he, he goes out and he makes friends with Ahab, who was obviously, you know, the husband of Jezebel, who obviously was a very evil king. And, and after Ahab has died in battle, listen to what the Lord says to Jehoshaphat. He sends a prophet to him in verse, in chapter 19, in verse number two. It's, listen to what he says. And Jehu, the son of, uh, Hanam, the seer, went out to meet him and said to King Jehoshaphat, listen to what he says. He said, should you help the wicked and love those who hate the Lord? Therefore, the wrath of the Lord is upon you because you did this, because you 
love those who hate the Lord. Now, now see, how do you gel that with love your enemies, pray for those that persecute you? Well, I believe, again, I believe, I believe we're to do both. Uh, first of all, we're not to be unequally yoked with those people who hate the Lord. Uh, uh, listen to what the psalmist says in another imprecatory psalm, at least partially an imprecatory psalm, over in Psalm chapter 130, uh, in Psalm 139. Look at that with me, if you would. Go there for a minute. And listen to what, what this is a psalm of David. So this is David praying an imprecatory psalm. And I'm, I want to pick up in verse number 19. Listen to what he says there in 139, verse number 19. He says, Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God. Uh, depart from me, therefore, you bloodthirsty man. I hate you, is what David's saying right there. For they speak against you, Lord, wickedly. Your enemies take your name in vain. Do I not hate them, O Lord? And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with a perfect hatred. I count them my enemies. Now, what is a perfect hatred? I think a perfect hatred uh, it really means a complete hatred. But I think it's also a balanced hatred. In other words, Lord, if you can save them, save them. But if you can't save them, Lord, and they're doing harm to your people, then do something about them. And that's the balance right there that I think allows us to pray an imprecatory psalm. Several weeks back, somebody in here was talking about watching a movie with Ben Affleck in it. And I said, I wouldn't watch anything with Ben Affleck in it because he is antichrist. He hates Christians. He says that if he was in charge of this world, that he would get rid of every Christian on this earth. That was his exact words. So I so so, you know, and 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 somebody perked up and said, uh, uh, I'll you know, I'm going to pray for him. I said, I'm going to pray for him, too. I'm going to pray God takes him out. You know, I, I, I think, there, but I think we both right. I mean, you do pray that maybe he gets saved. But you also pray that God doesn't allow him to do any evil, the kind of evil especially that he has in his mind. And we have politicians that might get in power in this next election, election that that's the way they see us. They see us as the problem. And they're going to want to do something about getting rid of us and getting us out of the the public arena. And if we're not willing to get out of the public arena, then they'll throw us in jail. And so so we're heading, you know, we're one election away from 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 uh, really getting serious about our prayers, really getting serious about, you know, what do we do about these people that want to destroy us? And so I, I certainly I think we pray for them. We pray for those that persecute us. But we also pray that God will do something about those who persecute us. And that's what's happening here as we go to Psalm chapter number 10. Uh, it's more than likely a Psalm of David. We're not sure that it's, it's a Psalm of David, but if you go back now to Psalm chapter number 10, you get the heading there. It's a song of confidence in God's triumph over evil. And, and, and the psalmist, who more than likely is David, he's in a situation where he's being oppressed and he sees people being oppressed and he cries out to God to do something about it. And that's what the psalm's all about. Now, look at verse number one. He, sa- he says in verse number one, and I can relate to this. I don't know about you. He says, why do you stand afar off, O Lord? Why do you hide in times of trouble? You know, one of the things I like about reading the psalms, and one of the things I like about the psalmist who wrote the psalms is they're real people. They're real people who worship God in spirit 
and in truth. They, they, they told it like it was. They didn't come out with all these pious platitudes. Now, when they were praising God, you would hear some, some platitudes of praise. But, but not, but, but, but when they were in trouble, they told, they, they were, they were willing to boldly confront God and ask Him, why is it like this, Lord? And right here, this psalmist says, he says, he says, why are you, you, do you stand so far away? Why do you hide in times of trouble? So what's he doing? What's he doing right here? He's questioning God's goodness. You know, God, if you're good, why is it that in the worst of times you seem to be hiding when I need you? It, it's, it's like you're nowhere to be found when I need you the most. You ever feel like that? I certainly feel like that. Uh, uh, I, I mean, and I got to ask the question, Lord, why? Why do you do that? Why does the Lord do that? Well, one of the reasons he does, does that because a person doesn't know the Lord. And if you don't know the Lord, you can cry out all you want. You know, I, I, I mean, all the, the cry you need to cry is, Lord, I, I, I want to give my life to you, you know, and I want to enter into a relationship with you so I can get to know you. But, but for most of us, I believe what it is, God is testing our faith. It's impossible to please God without faith. God wants us to have faith. He's a lot more interested in building our faith than he is our comfort. And so, so there are going to be always these seasons where it's going to seem like we're, we're in some kind of wilderness or something. And, and God is going to be testing us and, and, uh, uh, he's going to do that to, 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 to build our faith. He wants to build our faith. You remember when the disciples were on the Sea of Galilee in Mark chapter four and uh, uh, suddenly this storm rose up and they, uh, and, and, it, and it was really a terrible storm and it was this, and they were certain the boat was about to sink. I, I remember reading, uh, I guess it was last summer, the summer before you remember when that boat sunk at Branson at that lake. Uh, I mean, a lake smaller than Galilee, how this storm just just sprouted up all of a sudden and it flipped this ferry and 17 people died in the boat. So so they had a right to be scared here. I mean, certainly on the Sea of Galilee, that could happen at any time. And so 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 they were afraid. But but what did here? Here was Jesus. What was he doing? He was down in the bottom of the boat sleeping. He wasn't worried about it because he's the Lord over the 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 creation and he, he he'd fix it whenever he got ready but he waited he waited and and uh they they finally woke him up and said hey don't you care that we're perishing and remember what the lord said to him he said why is it that you are so fearful you have no faith what you need is faith and god wants us to have faith we're not going to have victory in this life if we don't have faith because there are going to be times when we're going to be like the psalmist and we're going to say, Lord, why do you stand so far off? I mean, why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? Has the, has the Lord hidden himself? No. It might seem to us like he's hidden himself, but, but he hasn't hidden himself. And so, so, so if we want to be pleasing to God, then we have to, in those kind of times, we have to exercise faith. But there, God's going to test us. He's going to push us in those tests. I know he does me and he might not do it for you, but 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 he's going to push you to the point where you say, Lord, where are you at? You know, why are you allowing this to happen to me? He pushes us. He pushes us until our faith fails. Often he does that. And then maybe next time when he does come through, 
then our faith's a little bit stronger and we're able to handle that situation, next situation a little bit better. All right, now, we live in a wicked world. And so we know that. And uh, it's more wicked than it's ever been. And so, so uh, uh, wicked people come against God's people. And so we can expect trouble of some kind. Look at verse number two. But, and he gives a great description here, a very vivid description of the wicked. Listen to what he says. The wicked in his pride persecutes the poor. And, and then he prays. This is an imprecatory prayer here. He's praying for God to act, to curse these people. And he says, let them be caught in the plots which they have devised. In other words, give us vengeance, Lord. Let Deal with them in a way that, that the traps that they're setting for us end up trapping them. And then he says in verse number three, and here's where you get this description of the wicked. He says, and the wicked boast of his heart's desire. Uh, his heart's desire is not the Lord. He, his heart desire is things. And so he, he praises not the Lord. He praises the greedy. He praises himself. He, what he longs for is, 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 is stuff. And he renounces the Lord. The wicked in his proud countenance does not seek God. God is in none of his thoughts. You know, I don't think you get a better explanation in the, in the Bible than you get right here in these couple of verses of, of uh, uh, what's in the heart of the wicked. I mean, they, he, he tells us here, first of all, they're greedy. You look at this verse, they, they're out to please themselves. And it doesn't matter whom they hurt, uh, regardless of the will of the Lord, uh, they're going to do their thing. Uh, and, and they do that. One of the things that they do to justify that, they renounce the Lord's existence. They just say he doesn't exist. Uh, and if he does exist, he's a different God from the God of this Bible. He's certainly different from the God of this Bible. Uh, and, and so uh, it fools, it allows the, per, the wicked person to think, hey, you know, if the God is the God that I choose him to be, if, the, if God doesn't exist at all, then I'm going to get away with whatever wickedness I desire to do. And so uh, that's the way the wicked that's why the wicked are so wicked. And here's the problem. I believe there are a lot of people who call themselves Christians who fit the bill of this description here that we get in Psalm chapter 10. Uh, the wicked boast of his heart's desire. He blesses the greedy and renounces the Lord. The wicked is proud in his in his. In his proud countenance, does not seek God. God is in none of his thoughts. Now, you can call yourself a Christian, but if God, if you don't, if you do your own thing and you don't seek the Lord, you just go about doing your own business, and God's not in your thoughts. I mean, Paul says to pray without ceasing. God should always be in our thoughts. If God's not in our thoughts, then 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 we're, we very well might be fooling ourselves, and we're just as wicked as the wicked. We might not be doing some of the evil things they're doing, but. But uh, we're still uh, not in Christ. And so if we're not in Christ, we're against Christ. And so we're wicked, too. And uh, there's a danger. And here's the danger, I think, for Americans, probably more than anywhere else in the world. There's this danger that we think somehow because we're prosperous, we, we prosper in our wealth, in our physical wealth, that that's an indication that God is 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 okay with us. 
then he might even be okay with our wicked ways because, hey, look at how look at how I'm prospering. I mean, uh, boy, you just look at some of the people that are that are that are really prospering well, the 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 ones who have the greatest wealth, the most billions in their bank account. And they're some of the most wicked people in the world. And so that you can throw that that theory out right away. I mean, just because you're prospering, just because we prosper and we're blessed materially doesn't necessarily mean that that uh, we're we're good people. Uh, we very well could be be a wicked person and be prospering. Look at verse number five. He says his ways are always prospering. It's really funny. It seems the wicked because they cheat and lie and do everything they can to make a buck. Uh, they always seem to be prospering. But the but the Lord says here in this psalm in verse number five, he says, or the psalmist says, uh, your judgments, your precepts are far above they, above anything they they understand or want to know. They're out of sight. They, they don't care about your precepts. As for all his enemies, he sneers at them. The wicked, the wicked sneers at his enemies. And depending on how you look at that, it might be the Lord sneers at his enemies. But I think he's speaking of the wicked there. The wicked, the wicked sneers at his enemies because he's he figured out ways to, to d- defeat his en- enemies. He has said in his heart, I shall not be moved. I shall never be in adversity. I'm prospering and I'm prospering so much that that, hey, this prosperity is going to go on forever and forever and forever. Is it going to go on forever and forever and forever? I tell you what, just this coronavirus thing that's going on just shows you how quickly our economy could be shut down if this thing were to spread. I mean, I was telling somebody a while ago that they're, they're playing their baseball games in Japan without uh, spectators right now. Imagine what would happen to the sports world, to the entertainment world, to restaurants, fast food places. Oh, God forbid, fast food places. But but uh, think of what would happen to all these places if this virus was to really spread and they would have to shut all of those things down. And so so uh, it could all end really quickly for all of us as far as prosperity goes. But that's not all. Look, going on, he describes the wicked. He says his mouth is full of cursing and deceit uh, and oppression under his tongue is trouble and iniquity. He sits in the lurking places of the villages, in the secret places. He murders the innocent. Uh, and I don't think that's he is speaking so much of literal murder there, but he murders by, by stealing from them and oppressing them. He murders their plans. He murders their dreams. He murders their hope. Uh, and uh, he, he's always thinking, how can I get more from them? You know, that's really sad. I, 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 I remember that line in that movie, Wall Street. When the guy asks, how many yachts can you water ski behind? You know, I mean, I see a company like Walmarts and, and, and uh, Amazon, these giant companies we have. How, how much money does it take to satisfy those people to where enough is enough? I mean, they want to be in everything. They want to get every dime they possibly can from whoever they can. And, and enough is never enough. In verse number Nine, it says he lies in wait secretly as a lion in a den. He lies in wait to catch the poor. He catches the poor when he draws him into his net. I mean, it's amazing how much the rich prey on the poor in so many ways. How these lawyers prey on the poor, how how uh, to get them to sue everybody, how the how. How you can go into a poor part of town and you can, what you see, the only businesses that are left there anymore are pawn shops and, 
and uh, payday loan places and tattoo places. I mean, and all that is is rich people praying on poor people. Rent your furniture. You know, that's a what a racket that is. And that is, that is nothing more than stealing from uh, the poor and uh, to get what little they have. In verse number 10, so he crouches and he lies low that the helpless may fall by his strength. And he thinks he's getting away with it. I mean, he thinks he thinks, you know, I can go on doing this forever. Uh, uh, he says in his heart, verse number 11, God has forgotten. God either doesn't exist or he's forgotten. Uh, I mean, here's the psalmist and he's thinking God's forgotten because God's allowing him to do this. The rich man is who's oppressing the poor is thinking this God isn't around and he's forgotten because he's allowing him to do it, too. So so they both think God's forgotten at this point, but God hasn't forgotten. Remember what Solomon said in, in Ecclesiastes chapter eight. He says, because the sentence against an evil work is not executed speedily. Therefore, the heart of the sons of man is fully set on them to do evil. God has not forgotten. Uh, and one day uh, the Lord is going to take care of the wicked. He's going to at any moment. And I'm not talking about just in the sweet by and by. He's going to take care of the wicked. So here's the psalmist now in, in, in Psalm chapter 10. And he's made his case of just how wicked the wicked really are. And now he goes back to his original plea, his original theme. And he says, Lord, where are you at? I mean, here's the wicked. He thinks he's getting away with his wicked. Where are you at? When are you going to do something about this? Why aren't you doing something about this? And, and, and uh, Lord, it's as if you're asleep. So he says in verse number 12, here's his imprecatory prayer again. He says, arise, O Lord. O God, lift your hand and do not forget the humble. Now, who are the humble? The humble, when he's talking about the humble here, he's talking about people who are just the opposite of the proud, wicked people. In other words, the humble doesn't trust in himself. He trusts in the Lord. He, he, he believes in the Lord. Uh, he fears the Lord. Just the opposite of a wicked man. And, and uh, so he says, Lord, I believe in you. Uh, don't forget me. Rise up, wake up, uh, lift your hand up and help me. And then in verse number 13, he says, why did the wicked renounce God? He has said in his heart, you will not require an account. You listen to wicked people and they got several ways they approach this. But the two main ways they approach this, when they say, you know, when they renounce God, it's one of two ways. They renounce God by just saying there is no God. They believe in evolution and there is no God. And and they believe that humanism is the way to a better world and and uh, that they don't have to answer to God. That's one way. The second way I've already mentioned is they evolve God or change God to meet the cultural mores of their day. In other words, it's as if God, uh, they renounce the true God and they believe in a false God, a creation of their own minds. One, a God who accepts their evil way, a God who says everybody's going to make it to heaven. And so Really, with either either one of those attitudes, you know, if that's the way it is, eat and drink and be merry because 
tomorrow you're going to die. One group would say you're going to and then you're, you're, you're going to go off the scene forever. The other group would say you're going to go to heaven no matter what you've done. But both of them are wrong. And, and the psalmist says, Amy, why do they do this? I mean, will you not require an account of this? Are you going to let them keep getting away with this? And then in verse number 14, he says, but you have seen for you observe trouble and grief. Now he's talking, he's, 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 he's going to rely on the, on his faith. What he truly believes about God. First of all, that God is, is, is omniscient. He knows all things. He's seen everything. He hears everything. Uh, he's omnipresent. He's there and he has the power to do something about it. He's omnipotent. And so he says, you have seen for you observe trouble and grief to repay it by your hand. The helpless commits himself to you. You are the helper of the fatherless. And so, so the Lord is going to do something about this. And then in verse number 15, he says, this is pretty strong right here. He says, break the arm of the wicked and the evil man. Seek out, go after his wickedness until you find none. I mean, wipe them out. I mean, wouldn't it be nice if God would go up to Washington and wipe out every evil person up there? Well, there wouldn't be any Washington left. That would take a nuclear bomb. And actually, if he came in here, this is where grace comes in. And here's where our prayers have to be for God's mercy and grace. Because actually, if he came out in this room tonight and wiped away every evil person, his room would be empty, too. Uh, but to stop their wickedness. When a person is bound and determined to, to perpetuate evil, there's nothing wrong uh, to pray a prayer like this. Break their arm, Lord, whatever that arm is, if it's their if it's their position in government, if it's a crown they're wearing in government, break it. I mean, I pray that I pray for some of these people that are causing wanting to bring our nation down that God breaks them. I mean, he does whatever it takes to get them out of the way that he breaks them. And I, th- I don't think there's anything wrong with that prayer. Now, I might piously behind that say, well, save them if you can, Lord, but break them. You know, my, my break them's a lot stronger than my save them. You know, it's, it's, it's break them. Stop what they're doing because they're destroying our country as we speak. I've got grandkids that I want to see grow up in this country in a, in a country at least of some resemblance of what I grew up in when I was was a child, you know, it was certainly wicked, but there was some hope and there was some, there was some, there was some good. The light, uh, shone, shine brightly, uh, in this country and in, in, in the past. And we, you want, we want to see that again. And so Lord, we want you to, to break whatever, I mean, if it's their bank account, if it's their business, if it's their position in government, whatever that arm is that they're using to oppress us and to do wickedly, break that arm, whatever it takes to bring them down, do it, Lord, until they have no power no power until the wickedness is, is is you can't find it anymore when they have no power anymore to do harm to others and we know lord that you can do that and let me tell you why we know that you can do that lord because of verse number 15 and this isn't a sweet by and by promise this isn't a promise of, uh, about something that's happened in the past or something that's going to happen in the future this is a promise for now and here it is right here the lord is king forever and ever The Lord does not abdicate his throne. I don't care who the speaker of the house is. I don't care who the president is. The Lord has not abdicated his throne. Uh, And and 
The nations have perished. We've seen it in the past. The nations have perished out of this land. Uh, uh, I think whoever wrote this at this point was speaking of a time when 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 Joshua came into that land. And remember when he first came into that land, who did he see? He saw the commander of the armies of the Lord. Who was the commander of the armies of the Lord? The angel of the Lord. Who is the angel of the Lord? None other than Jesus Christ. And Joshua said, whose side are you on? And he said, it don't matter who's who's uh, it doesn't matter whose side, whether I'm on your side or not. It's whose side are you on that matters? Are you on my side? That's the side you want to be on. You want to be on the Lord's side because the Lord is king forever and ever. And I'm going to drive the evil people out of this land and I'll drive you out of this land, too, if you're evil. And so the so the Lord is the commander of the. The of the arm. I mean, Jesus is the commander of the armies of the Lord and and uh, he's the commander of our soul and he has power over our enemies. And all the enemies that war against our soul, those human beings that war against our soul, he has power over them. He has power over the devil who wars against our soul. He has power over our lust. He has power over our flesh. He has power over all those things that enemies that beset us. If we'll just remember that and trust in him. And there's going to be times, like I say, when it's going to seem like he's nowhere to be found. And when that time comes, if you're a believer and you know the Lord, I tell you what God's doing. He's testing your faith. You just hang in there. You keep believing and and, in time, uh, the Lord's going to give you the victory that you're looking for. So now the psalmist goes from despair to this place of confidence. Why? Because he has faith. He's, 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 he has faith in the word of God. He has faith in, in who God is, that the Lord is king forever and ever. Now listen to what he says in the last two verses he's here. He says, Lord, you have heard the desire of the humble. I mean, the Lord never speaks here. It's almost as if this prayer is taking place and, and he's having spiritual interaction with the Lord. But the Lord never really speaks here. But in the process of thinking this thing through, he strengthens himself in the word. And so he strengthens himself in the Lord. And he says, Lord, you have heard the desire of the humble. You know, you're not asleep. You're there. You will prepare their heart. You will cause your ear to hear to do justice to the fatherless and the oppressed. The man of the earth that the man of the earth may oppress no more. In other words, Lord, I know you never sleep. I know you always hear. I know in your time you're going to act on my behalf. Now, this could be some type of millennial promise here, but it's also a promise for the here and now. I don't care what you're great you're going through. God is on your side and God is still on his throne and God is going to give you victory in his time. Now, I look at the political climate that we're living in right now, and, and uh, I'm thinking, what a great psalm for how appropriate it is for, for uh, uh, what we're dealing with or what we might be dealing with. And how it gives us a pattern for prayer uh, uh, to, to uh, we have so many people that deny today the existence of the Lord. They don't believe They don't believe, you know, they have to answer to the Lord. And that's at the root of their wickedness. Uh, But uh, the Lord 
uh, is king forever and ever. And uh, so the Lord is going to arise. I'm telling you, in his time, he's going to arise and he's going to break the arm of the wicked. And uh, uh, he's going to do justice for the humble. That day is coming soon. I think there's personal application here. There's national application here. Uh, There's application for the church. And there's certainly application, like I say, for my own personal life and for yours too. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we just thank you for your goodness. We thank you for who you are. And Lord, we we thank you that that, uh, in those times that seem so dark, Lord, when we we almost want to despair, that that there's no hope, that, that the Lord, you're asleep, you're not helping us, you're not watching out for us, Lord. Uh, we know that in your time, you're going to arise. You're going to break the arm of the wicked. You're going to break whatever's besetting us. And Lord, you're going you're to give us the victory that we need if we'll just trust in you. Lord, thank you for building our faith. Thank you for, for uh, the fact we can believe in you and trust in you. And uh, Lord, all of that begins at the cross where we look to the cross for 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 our salvation and for the grace and for the life that we need to to live this life victoriously this life that you've given us this new life lord as new creations in jesus christ we just thank you for your goodness to us i pray in christ's name amen